it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi everyone, welcome to the 2024, the year in which we'll be like no other because of the drama of an election, absolutely, because the drama of court cases, for sure. Of course, the the wars that uh, potentially could get out of control in the Middle East that we're going to be in the middle of and what Russia, China, North Korea, and Iran want to challenge us with. We are up for all those challenges. Griff Jenkins is going to be with us uh, this hour. In fact, a matter of moments, bottom of the hour, we go to the border, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. He'll also tap into his knowledge about what's going on in Ukraine right now as well as the challenges in Gaza as Hezbollah up uh, up, uh, I guess they're on an uptick in terms of what they're trying to do uh, in the other side of Israel. They're being hit from all sides. So we have a lot to discuss. So glad you're here. Also want to hear from you, one 408 And, of course, you could always reach me by going to BrianKillMe.com. He'll click on comments, and it comes right to me. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This has just become the most extraordinary political liability for Democrats right now. Just two months ago, Senator Chuck Schumer was saying we will not have a discussion about any policy changes at the border. We'll throw money at it, but nothing else. Yep, that is Kimberly Strassel on the Wall Street Journal last night on a special report. Yep, 302,000 illegals in December, 785,000 minimum that we know about apprehension since September 1st. As our border is beyond busted and Biden's inaction has led to war between the red states and blue cities. The only hope is a deal which includes new rules, not just money, new enforcement and war funding for Ukraine and Israel. Something's got to get done. Word is there were talks over the break. Number two. We've got significant national security interests in the region just on our own, the United States. And we're going to put the kind of forces we need in the region to protect those interests. And we're going to act in self-defense going forward. Right. I never feel better listening from Admiral Kirby. Uh, Boiling over. That's what's happening at the Red Sea. The Houthis ramp up attacks on you as U.S. choppers take out three of their ridiculous boats. And Iran sails in with their warship into the crosshairs right next to our warships. What good could come of that? Number one. It would rip the country apart if he were uh, actually prevented from running because tens of millions of people uh, want to vote for him. I think if you're going to beat Donald Trump, you're going to probably have to do it at the poll. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. And David Axelrod speaking the truth from the Democratic perspective. For the first time, we we're talking about 2024. In 24, new polls, a body blow to Joe as legal cases challenge and fuel Trump as Iowa caucuses are now 13 days away. Uh, so this is going to be exciting. So what can we expect? How about this? Uh, January 10th, the Republican debate over in Iowa. Uh, there's going to be CNN there. I'm not sure who. I know Nikki Haley said she will go. So I assume I'm not sure if Chris Christie's going to qualify. I know that DeSantis immediately qualifies. I'm not sure if Vivek qualifies. So we'll see if we'll get a one-on-one out of that. Well, Donald Trump is the one right now. Iowa caucuses on the 15th, as I mentioned. On the 18th, the ABC News Republican debate happens in New Hampshire. The next day, uh, the government funding runs out. That'll be Titanic. Uh, And CNN Republican debate is the next day on the 21st. Why are they getting so many debates? Uh, Also, New Hampshire primary is on the 23rd. 
So we'll be there covering that. We'll have the show from there before and after and during, as well as government funding running out on September on the step two. I don't know of any progress that has taken place between both sides as it relates to the appropriations bills that would fund the government. So which means that all these uh, stalwarts will just say, shut it down. Others will say, I dare you because we have an election coming up and we'll just flip the house. With us right now is Griff Jenkins, who does everything at every moment at every time. Griff, welcome. <laughs> hey, Brian. Happy New Year to you. And thank you for allowing me. I was sitting in on Fox and Friends in your stead, barely living up to the <laughs> expectations of the big issues in the business. It was great being there this morning. You know, we're talking about a lot of this stuff. You mentioned, by the way, the Iowa caucus, you know. I mean, here we are, what, 13 days away, and, you know, it looks like Trump has got this 50% lead, uh, but you probably, I mean, you know this, your listeners may not know, in in Iowa, the caucuses, what makes it so special is it's literally just people that are, are regular voters gathering in these meeting places like gyms and schools and whatnot, and they they. Start saying, okay, Brian, you do Trump. Griff, you do DeSantis. Sally, you do Nikki Haley. And you make your case for your candidate. So it'll be interesting to see with the amount of effort that Ron DeSantis has put in the ground game, and Nikki Haley for that matter, whether or not it will be closer uh, than, than, than what the polls show. But the polls certainly show Donald Trump with a massive lead there. Right. Uh, and it's very interesting to see the one gaffe that I can remember Nikki Haley having major gaffe, you might not agree, but she doesn't really misspeak. You might say, well, that that's controversial. It might be controversial to go after DeSantis and not over Trump, but that's tactics. So, and the way she's doing it it's without trying to win votes without alienating, uh, without alienating Trump voters. Okay. That's tactics. But this is the first time I remember her making a mistake. And this is just, it's befuddling to me. Cut six. Well, don't come with an easy question or anything. I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. What do you think the cause of the Civil War was? I'm not running for president. I, 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 I wanted to see uh, your That's a good thing. on the cause of the Civil War. I mean, I think it always comes down to the role of government and what the rights of the people are. Thank you. And then in the year 2023, it's astonishing to me that you answer that question without mentioning the word slavery. What do you want me to say about slavery? No, um, uh, you answered my question. <laughs> Griff, well, I mean, you know how smart she is. You exactly. know how experienced she is. What do you think happened? Well, what happened was uh, Griff Jenkins filling in for Brian Kilmeade on Fox & Friends ended up on uh, Mediaite headline because I said that she couldn't have handled it better. And I, I'm, I'm a loner in that category because I give her the doubt exactly because you said, Brian, she's so intelligent. She's so smart. Uh, and accomplished, uh, not only from being the governor, but also the U.N. ambassador, that I think she in real time was processing it, saying this question is nuanced. It's about more than slavery. So let me see if I can get to it. And and, in fairness to her, it was about the economics and the politics, about slavery and a number of other issues that really got to the power of states versus the federal government. And so she kind of went super deep right away. But the takeaway, of course, is everybody said she couldn't say slavery. I defended her, by the way, 
saying that if this guy, whoever he is, shows up with a gotcha question, thinks that the the implication is she didn't mention slavery, therefore she doesn't condemn the evils of slavery, give me a friggin' break because she is the governor who had the political will in the guts in the wake of that horrific shooting of of, of nine black Americans at the AME Church in Charleston – Literally in the wake of it, as governor, she then lowered the Confederate flag in the state capitol. As a well, kid that grew Griff, up in the I South, that, that was a big Griff, deal. I hear you. And I think she, uh, she just, what you do is you say, obviously, the fundamental cause of the Civil War was slavery. And then you go into the other aspects of it, that there are other people fighting there that didn't have slaves. They were fighting for the South. They thought they were fighting for what they thought was the country. But slavery was the fundamental issue. And you have to lead with that. And it just be, we live in the world of gotcha questions. Yeah, we do. We live in the world as they wait for us at Fox to say one thing that they might deem uh, to fit a stereotype. And boom, they go to town with it. But to me, you just say, of course, the fundamental thing is slavery. It's also uh, these states also felt as though the federal government was not listening to them. They wanted to form their own. You're spot uh, on. Right. You're spot yeah. on. And, then I mean, you, and then you get into it. So – so to me, I just thought there was the easiest fumble ever. But I also know what it's like. She recognized the guy. Uh, and she says, this guy's following me around trying to get me to say something. I'm not going to say it. So here's her walk back, cut six. I think everybody thinks that the Civil War is about slavery. It was more, what's the bigger issue of it? You know, we went through 80 years of that. And we know that people were struggling with What's the role of government? What's the role of individual freedom? And the lesson we should take away from civil wars, yes, never allow slavery to happen again, but what does that mean for government and the role of individual freedom? We want every person to have the freedom of speech, religion, to live their life in any way without anyone doing anything to hamper that. That's what this was about. Yeah. No, you're you're, you're exactly right. I mean, she should have said slavery right out of the gate to take it off the table, particularly if you realize a gotcha question is coming. And she yep. did certainly acknowledge that. And then you go into the deeper thing. And, you know, you, you just used a, a, a analogy there a moment ago saying uh, it was a fumble. And that's a perfect example, actually, uh, analogy, because this is you're, when you're a football team and you are four or five touchdowns down. You cannot fumble on your own 20. And that was a costly fumble because she's barely, she's at like 16% in Iowa to Trump's like 52%. And, you know, that's, you can't, it was a fumble she cannot afford to mm-hmm. have. And interestingly enough, it also illustrates the sort of different, more traditional campaigning of people like DeSantis or Haley, as opposed to Donald Trump, who somehow fumbles balls in in moments like this and then turns it to his advantage. She has not done that. She's tried to explain it away, and that hasn't gained her anything. It hasn't. So we'll talk about that. Uh, what about the Chris Sununu among the people pressuring uh, Chris Christie to uh, come out, uh, just to bow out of the election? Because the New Hampshire, Nikki Haley, might be closing the gap or certainly is solid second and said, you know, we need the Chris Christie vote. So, Chris, you're a friend. Get out. Your thoughts about Christie. Christie, are you kidding me? I'm the only one going after the leader. They need me in this race. I think I could win New Hampshire. What do you think's really going on there? Well, I mean, Sununu is saying the very uh, obvious and, 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 and realistic thing out loud with the fact that Haley, this is her best shot. 
if you're a Nikki Haley fan, this is her shot to really break out, and she desperately has to win New Hampshire to be the heir apparent to a Trump alternative because it lets DeSantis, Chris Christie, they're all running at this very moment to be the alternative to Trump because no one really knows how large that 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 group of voters among Republican like minded voters are. And so for Chris Christie, who doesn't have a path and doesn't have the numbers, it is perhaps selfish on his part to stay in. So you think so? No, you're going to take Haley's chance out. However, in fairness to Chris Christie, you know, it's his campaign to run. And so does it keep getting him on, you know, MSNBC? Yeah, it does. Uh, so maybe he has his own reason right. for staying in it. But but the well, numbers don't show that he has a path, whereas Haley certainly does. But it would be much a stronger path if Chris Christie were to step out. Yeah, we'll see. It uh, goes in you know, DeSantis. And I'm not sure that uh, I have I have suddenly want to look at the polls as actual standings. Every once in a while, I just got to sober myself up to think these are a thousand people. This is a very small number of people. This is these are just polls. They're not results. You know, it's not the yeah. regular season. Uh, you know, the, the primaries are actually the regular season. So I want to get to another area of your expertise. It's the border. Uh, what we're seeing now is not a border problem. We're having a national problem. We see Chicago. We see New York. We see Philadelphia. Uh, we see uh, Los Angeles being overrun with illegal immigrants, and they're pushing back on the buses, but not at the reason for those illegal immigrants, and that is the lack of federal government crackdown. Here is Brandon Johnson, the mayor of Chicago, who at first was telling everybody Let's team together, put our tax dollars together for illegal immigrants. They are the American dream. Now, even though he does a fraction of what New York has, he can't handle it. And he's blaming Texas, which is just wrong because he's saying my problem is your problem now. Cut 17. What is very clear is that not only are we providing mental health related services as well as vaccinations and health screenings and providing um, medical health care for these families when they arrive, the moment they get off those buses, we're not seeing that same treatment on the border. In other words, there's no health screenings, no vaccinations. That process at the border is absolutely raggedy and and reckless, but we cannot have a governor who decides that he's going to uh, cling to the vestiges of Jefferson Davis when we should be uh, pulling to the hopes and aspirations that were left by Frederick Douglass. We have to have a coordinated response to this humanitarian crisis. We cannot allow chaos to dictate and to divide this country. Yeah, so Frederick Douglass is the, was all for illegal immigration and our busted border. So how wrong is Mayor Johnson on his assessment? Well, he's at least honest in realizing he's got a major problem, but his problem pales in comparison to what's happening at the border to towns. Hey, Griff, like let me, how about best. this? How yeah. about, how about 6,000, 7,000 in Chicago? How about how many per day? As many as 12,000 yeah. a day. And you're, you're upset because it's, they're not getting, they're not getting alcohol before they get a vaccine shot that they don't want anyway. And they don't, what is he talking about? It's crazy. And here in New York, where I'm literally sitting right now, you literally have Mayor Adams trying to do this restriction to not allow Abbott buses to come. And they have to give a 32-hour notice and all that stuff, which Abbott's bus, by the way, just dropped off in New Jersey, stopping short of it. But of the 160,000 migrants that have come through city shelters uh, wrecking Mayor Adams' resources, most of those did not come from Abbott. 
Most of them came on their own accord because they wanted to come there because migrants are coming, because the majority of them are being released. The problem that Mayor Johnson in Chicago and Adams here in New York do not address and will not say the loud, the, the, the real part out loud is that the administration's policies of mass release is driving this like pouring gasoline on a fire. Brian, did you watch the Rose Bowl? So that's – do you watch the game? Sure. So that's 102,000. We reported, I reported, my sources called me and told me on New Year's Day that we ended December with more than 300,000 migrant encounters. So three Rose Bowls in just the month of December illegally crossed our border. And eight out of ten of them, eight out of ten of three Rose Bowls full were released into the U.S. with notices to appear, with court dates it's a decade in, from now that they're not going to go to. And so, yet so, this Mayor Johnson's complaining about, you know. Uh, hey, Griff, I, I was there three times. I can't stop thinking about it. I don't know how you don't have PTSD because you almost feel bad leaving because you're leaving such a terrible problem for the country. And yet no one's looking to address it. I do have some information about negotiations that went over over the break. I'm going to relay that to the audience when we come back. Griff, fantastic job filling in uh, here and on TV. Uh, I look forward to seeing you, uh, and fantastic job, especially at the border. Appreciate it, Griff. Thanks, Brian. Happy New Year. Enjoy your great listeners. All right. Stay within yourself, Griff. Promise me. Uh, and next, one 408 7669 and a report from Senator Langford and negotiations that went over over this break in just a moment. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, it's it's probably the most consequential thing to happen to our country. It might be in, in your small life, uh, in our small slices of what's going on in this country. I understand that's a focus, but if you're looking for what's most important, it's cracking down on the border, and it's not just Border Patrol. It's change in a few rules. It could change everything. Senator James Lankford is leading the negotiations, and if you want war aid to Ukraine and Israel and Taiwan, you got to come to on the border. He has just told me that we they continue negotiations every day for the past two weeks, except Christmas Eve, Christmas, and the day after Christmas. Progress, but hard issues. They restart negotiations again in a few minutes, so happening right now. So that's the very latest on negotiations that really will affect the country. The best thing to happen to Joe Biden, by the way, is for them to come up with some type of solution. Best thing for the country, some type of solution. Does he realize that? That's the question. How hard is it to do the right thing? That's the bigger question. I'll ask that to Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. First time in 2024. So glad you're here. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I am deeply concerned about 
my Irish colleague from the left group. Anti-Semitism is on the rise throughout Europe and an elected official continues to spread anti-Semitic messages. This is a war that started because of terrorism, a war between a democratic state and a terrorist group. But in your upside-down world, you are calling the democratic state the terrorists and not even mentioning the atrocities committed by Hamas. This, my dear colleagues, is a clear example of the back crazy left that does not belong in any elected chamber, let alone this one. You're calling Israel a democratic state. Let me tell you something, right? But democratic states don't behave like an apartheid state. Unbelievable. That is Swedish, and that woman that made so much sense, his name is uh, Sarah Scottedell, and she was just slamming a member of the European Parliament because saying that they're trying to make excuses for the, uh, for the attacks on October 7th, not taking understanding that what has been happening since the anti-Semitic attacks are just that. There's nothing else through it. And she just pointed out with great reason, reasonable and with great reason and clarity what should be everybody should be focusing on. And that is the terrorist activity of October 7th and the military action that happened since then and how possibly it's all orchestrated by Iran, who wants the chaos because our Israel is about to be normalized with all these Middle Eastern nations. Why does it take so few people? And at this t- at times, Joe Biden has been clear on this, that to understand who the good guys are in this. And it is the Israelis and the anti-Semitism and the protests are taking place in major cities, especially uh, New York. You're winning no one over to the causes. You are causing great alarm on the campuses. And I'll tell you, for the anti-Semitism, I knew there was flares of it. I know there's people that are uh, born with this uh, this anti-Jew hatred, and that's their affliction. I did not think it was this pervasive, and that's the only thing that I could say is this persuasive, pervasive. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West is surprised by very little, but perhaps this does catch him by surprise. Colonel, we have a lot to discuss. Great to see you. Welcome to yeah. 24. But first, on the what the protest did not take a break during the break. Uh, they stopped traffic in Kennedy, at Kennedy Airport, Bell Parkway, mm-hmm. the only way to get in and out. They stopped. They, they, uh, they delayed 60 flights. Pilots couldn't get in or out. People couldn't get uh, an Uber to go home. So what is going on here? Well, it's good to be with you, Brian, and Happy New Year. I can't explain it. I think that it is very troubling to us when we see individuals all across the country and also here in the United States of America that align themselves with the terrorist organization. That's what Hamas is. And it's a terrorist organization that has in their charter the annihilation, extermination, and eradication of a modern-day nation state, which is Israel, and, of course, the, uh, the Jewish people. And so when you look at the disruptions that happen over the Christmas holiday season and the breaks and the purposeful and intentional targeting of trying to cancel Christmas, going after carolers. And, of course, we saw that in Bethlehem, uh, there were no Christians that were able to go and visit the birth uh, site of Jesus in Bethlehem because of uh, the Palestinian Authority shutting down any uh, visits to there. So we've got some very troubling things. And, and I think that this has gone beyond what you call you know, freedom of speech and freedom of religion. This is aiding and abetting a terrorist organization and providing material support and comfort to them. So let's talk about what's happening over in the Red Sea, and that is mm-hmm. the Houthi rebels have been going after commercial vessels, making them uh, find other routes. Now we have to put a coalition together to knock the rockets out of the sky, but we're not allowed to hit the guys shooting the rockets. We don't want to escalate things. Finally, when they were about to these three pirate boats, were about Houthi rebel pirate boats, about to overtake a commercial Maersk vessel. 
to three choppers off the USS, I believe, Eisenhower came in, blew those three ships out of the water, and we quickly said we don't want to escalate things. Now, I know you're an Army guy, but Iran has since sent their warship right into the mm-hmm. region. So can you, in your head, can you, uh, can you uh, plan this, uh, game plan this out? Where's this heading? Well, I tell you where it should head if we remember the uh, naval operation that Ronald Reagan called for after the Iranians had a, a, land, a sea mine that struck one of our naval vessels. Uh, they knocked out a good portion of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Navy, and I think that's where this is headed. We cannot allow the Houthis to have a base of operations where they are endangering an open sea lane of commerce, which is what the Red Sea and the Suez Canal is. And again, uh, you remember, I think it was right before Christmas when the Houthi leader came on television and said that they were, you know, issuing a threat against the United States of America. You cannot continue to say that we don't want to escalate something. You cannot tell your enemy what you don't want to do. The enemy has to believe that you will come after them. You will come after them with all the means that you have uh, necessary. Yeah, well, it's not happening right now. Uh, and does Iran want a direct confrontation with us? Almost absolutely not. For them to go in there is wrong. But what crazy, which drives mm-hmm. me nuts is the Houthi rebels evidently in the Middle East are not popular. But going after mm-hmm. Israel is increasing their popularity. And there was, listen to this chant in New York City, cut 15. So what the hell is that's in New York City? They are cheering yeah. for the Houthi rebels, rocketing commercial vessels and supporting pirates taking over other commercial uh, with maybe their IKEA uh, uh, futon that's not going to be delivered. Mm-hmm. Where does this come from? Well, it comes from the fact that we have an administration that is not tough on Islamic jihadism and uh, terrorist activity and supporting of that activity here in the United States of America. When you have an FBI that is more so concerned about uh, infiltrating the Catholic Church than going after these individuals that are out in the streets and calling for these types of things or calling parents uh, domestic terrorists and not these type of individuals terrorists. And for this to be happening in New York City, uh, where we remember what happened there on September 11th, 2001, now you have the exact same type of mentality that is in the street and shutting down, you know, airports and things of this nature and making these type of, uh, you know, open threats. Uh, this has to come to an end, but this Biden administration is not going to do it because everything about them is political calculation. Right. And just so you know, uh, the police tactics in New York have no – they're not doing this thing called kettling where they round up and push mm-hmm. aside the protesters because evidently mm-hmm. during the Black Lives Matter protesters during the pandemic when Anthony Fauci had no problem with these riots going on, uh, people sued and won lawsuits because they said the NYPD roughed them up. So now they're not even allowed. And I saw Bratton over the weekend saying you can't actually function in this police department, allow these protests to take over streets without using this tactic. Yeah, and think about this. Uh, you know, it was on Veterans Day last year when we saw the video of these pro-Hamas supporters climbing up on telephone posts and ripping down the American flag on Veterans Day and replacing it with that uh, 
pro-Hamas flag. That's what I call it. Uh, this is an affront to the American people. At some point, uh, we have to stop this. And Eric Adams and all of these other leaders all across the country, they need to step up and shut this down. So, you know, again, Eric Adams, a half measure. He came out firmly for Israel. He shows up at every pro-Israel event, but he's not condemning the Palestinians. Now, look, you have a yeah. right to say things that we don't like. You know, you might be in a fun way. You might be a Met fan and Yankee fan. They're both good people. They vehemently disagree. But this seems to be against America's fundamental interests. Uh, oh, and it's growing and it's young. I need to know what's going on behind it. Who is financing it? Kids don't hang out in coffee shops talking about Palestinians. They never did. Where did this come yeah. from? Well, this is all part of the cultural Marxism, you know, the the Black Lives Matter and everything. It's these far-left organizations, you know, under the umbrella of George Soros that are doing these things. But I think we're finding out that a lot of this has been festering and it's being fostered on our college and university campuses. When we look at those university presidents from Harvard, Penn, uh, MIT, and their responses when they could not, uh, you know, say definitively that, you know, from the river to the sea, I mean, that's, that's genocidal hate speech uh you know that you don't need a context for that it's genocidal hate speech but this is not uh, just about speaking out against america this is speaking out against humanity because these Islamic terrorist organizations, and let's never forget the Beirut barracks bombing, that was Hezbollah. Let's not forget Leon Klinghoffer, who was a wheelchair-bound man, I believe, from New York, who was uh, shot on the Achille Laurel cruise ship, and his body was in the wheelchair, was dumped into the Mediterranean. That's the nature of what we're dealing with. Uh, and, and this is about, you know, the, the, the humanity and the way that we live our lives, and we cannot live in this terror and fear and we've got to shut this down so just real quick look at the polls usa today suffolk poll came mm-hmm. out uh this morning indicates the president's trailing president trump 39 37 but this is the most disturbing if you're a biden supporter support among hispanic voters 39 34 mm-hmm. trump is leading this is a major shift from 2020 hispanic latino voters went 63 35 for Biden last time, support among voters yep. under 35, Trump by four. Last time, it was a huge uh, lead by uh, it was a huge advantage for uh, Biden when it comes to young supporters. I'm not sure how this translates, if what it's going to be like in November. But nobody projected those two things. Also, he's got 63 percent approval rating in the black community. That yes. number was in the 80s when he won elect when yes. he won the election. Well, this has to be very concerning, and that's why I believe that you don't, uh, you should not put a check in the box for Joe Biden being the nominee for the Democrat Party. This could go to their convention and with their super delegates, they can manipulate things. But you know, we're seeing these numbers in polling, and we really haven't gotten to the political season where we're talking about these issues and we're being inundated with all of the commercial ads and what have you. But it has to let people know that number one, domestic security. Who does that affect? It affects people in the minority communities, and we see all of this rampant crime. And then what we see on the border is affecting the uh, Hispanic communities all along the border, especially here in Texas. Yeah. And lastly, just so you know, the Wall Street Journal did a poll and Trump wins overall popular vote by four points over Biden. But if convicted, he loses by one. So for people, I don't care if you're the biggest Trump supporter or detractor, these court cases matter. And that, they to do. me, is a lot to do with why Haley and DeSantis 
are going to stick around for a long time if they can. And I think Haley's got the money to stick around, even if she loses, continues to lose, because these cases among the undecideds, the persuadables, and the moderates, the conviction thing really throws them, it seems. Colonel, have you talked to people who feel the same way? You know, when you talk to people, and I had some folks over yesterday for, you know, college football playoffs, and, you know, everyone would say that when it comes to Donald Trump, there's no doubt about that policy-wise he gets, you know, two thumbs up. It's the personality and some of these, uh, you know, lawfare issues that are concerning for them. And, you know, again, you could see this go to the Republican convention, even though he could lock this down as far as delegates by Super yeah. Tuesday in this March. But, you know, if there's some type of conviction that comes along, it could be a uh, nomination that decided at the Republican convention. Right. And because some of the stuff is so ridiculous, it is giving him unbelievable momentum. And it, I even watch oh, yeah, the, the main, Yeah. Yeah. The main secretary of state. How? I mean, Colorado. that is delusional and deranged in Colorado. Absolutely. Yeah. I look at the New York case, too. I look at Alvin Bragg, two cases, the civil trial, mm-hmm. the Alvin Bragg trial, the ridiculous claim by this woman who doesn't even remember the year in which uh, the president evidently assaulted her. Can't remember the year, let alone the day of the month. But 22 years later, funded by George Soros, she gets to bring Mm -hmm. a civil suit. People see this and and they don't like it. And that is helping Trump in a way that they never foresaw. And I just and it's a way in which the reason why Pompeo stay out of this race and it's why yeah. probably a reason why when the lights, when the cameras are away and the door closes, where DeSantis and Haley look at each other and say, what happened? We never, they yeah. never thought this. Final thought on that? The only case that I think uh, there could be concern is in Georgia. Uh, other than that, everything else is, is just hyperbole, partisan rhetoric, and right. lawfare attacks against the president. Right. Uh, Georgia's, you know, this stuff is real, especially when you look at the makeup of the jury and where it's going to be tried. Yeah. Uh, but we just don't understand how they could try 17 people at once. And when you flip, well, if you're can. the president's lawyer and you flip on, what does that mean? That means the advice yeah. that you gave him, you're going to expose it? I, I don't know. Uh, Colonel West, it's a fascinating time. So glad you're here with us. Appreciate it. Always it's going to be a, a great 24. Yes, sir. You got it. All right. When we come back, your turn. one 408 7669 I left you some time on the other end. I'll go over the schedule when we come back. Also, how to see me in person. Thanks to Fox Nation. Uh, we'll be streaming it. But you're so much better off meeting me in person, uh, especially if you're in Joliet, Illinois. BrianKillmead.com. More details on that in a moment. Uh, you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest growing talk show in America. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's only gained since he started getting indicted. Uh, You know, what you thought might be kryptonite for him has turned out to be battery packs. And this is a big one uh, for him. Uh, Presumably the Supreme Court will deal with it uh, fairly quickly. And I expect that they will leave him on the ballot. I do think it would rip the country apart if he were... uh, actually prevented from running because tens of millions of people uh, want to vote for him. I think if you're going to beat Donald Trump, you're going to probably have to do it at the poll. That is David Axelrod, and I just appreciate the analysis. He's their call robe over there. Everybody knows he leans. He's left. He wants everything good for Democrats, but he also tells it like he sees it uh, until it gets close to election, of course. Joel is in Naples, Florida. Hey, Joel. Hi, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. 
I know I only have a few seconds to talk, but Happy New Year to you in America. Um, I just wanted to say, with everything coming over, from, mainly from Mexico, of course, we have the northern border. Why, why doesn't Congress um, or whoever can put a tariff or start putting tariffs on, like, the trucks and goods, maybe even avocados, guavas, and things that really would affect America and make people wonder why we're doing it, to pay for the hidden burdens of all the medical costs and it's and a weapon. Else Joel, that, that's a good that weapon. It's among the many weapons. Just threaten the tariffs, work last time. And they just went down to Mexico. They accomplished nothing. They accomplished, right. they went down to Mexico out of panic because we've hit all these records, 755,000 apprehensions right. since September. And they went down there. They walked away with nothing. You know, Trump did this with a speech. He didn't have to call right. Ecuador himself. And he got his respect. Uh, I, the frustration is overwhelming. And the political damage to Biden, he doesn't fully realize. Roger, listen, W A and same to you, Joel. Happy New Year. Roger, listen, W-H-U-B in Tennessee. Hey, Roger. Hey, happy New Year, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. No problem, Rod. What's I in your mind? I think the Iranians are a lot smarter than people give them credit for. They're doing a great job using their proxies yep. to keep uh, the eye off the ball, which is those guys developing their nuclear program. Roger, the other thing is that the people they've tried to be nice to him, he's abusing. The only thing they understand is force and threats. The only thing that got their attention is in the invasion on Iraq. They said, well, how can we deal with you? The only thing that got their attention is when they went to Afghanistan, they panicked. And they said, well, we hate the Taliban too. How can we deal with you? The only thing that got their attention is when we started blowing up their, their fast boats, harassing our boats, and then try to shut them down with all the uh, all the full court press on their on their military and the sanctions. By the way, to see me enjoy at Illinois, a patriotic, motivational, inspirational night, uh, two o'clock in the afternoon, January twenty first. Uh, tickets at the Rialto Square Theater and BrianKilney.com. Top Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the first edition of the 2024 version of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Finally, I can stop talking about in 2022, 2023, talking about what's going to be like in 2024. Now we're 10 months away from the huge consequential election that certainly has most people talking throughout their holidays about where they stand and who could be still standing at the end. Would it be the person, the likely nominee, the current president, Joe Biden? He thinks so, even though his poll numbers are terrible. And then you have the other side. You have President Trump. The former president who's leading in all the polls, not only in the primaries, but he's also leading in the national poll and beating Joe Biden, maybe in the last six polls that I can remember. And he's got some great news coming off this Suffolk USA uh, poll that just came out. But he's also looking at an unprecedented number of legal cases, uh, some of which are quite surprising and relatively ridiculous, but certainly going to be a distraction. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by two special people. Uh, Victoria Coates is going to be with us talking about what's happening within the Biden administration that you might have missed. And the great governor, uh, Mike Huckabee, is going to be here. But first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This has just become the most extraordinary political liability for Democrats right now. Just two months ago, Senator Chuck Schumer was saying we will not have a discussion about any policy changes at the border. We'll throw money at it, but nothing else. 
So that is uh, Kimberly Strassel last night on Special Report. 302,000 illegals in December, 785,000 illegals as of September 1st to, to current date. The border is beyond busted. Now they're talking about a massive reformation, not just money for Border Patrol, but also asylum changes. Will the Democrats understand that this is what the American people want? At stake, Ukraine aid and Israel aid, which I believe we need. Number two. We've got significant national security interests in the region just on our own, the United States. And we're going to put the kind of forces we need in the region to protect those interests. And we're going to act in self-defense going forward. That is uh, John Kirby, uh, now the spokesperson, the admiral, boiling over in the Red Sea. The Houthis ramp up attacks on as U.S. choppers take out three of their boats about time. And Iran sails into our crosshairs with their warships in that very same sea. Look out. Number one. It would rip the country apart if he were uh, actually prevented from running because tens of millions of people uh, want to vote for him. I think if you're going to beat Donald Trump, you're going to probably have to do it at the poll. Yeah, 2024 is here. For the first time, we're talking about the election in real time. New polls, a body blow to Joe as the legal cases challenge and fuel Trump at the same time. The Iowa caucuses 13 days away. Keep in mind, if you ever miss the show live, go to BrianKillMeShow.com and you get the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it does get millions of downloads. Victoria Coates joins us now, for former Deputy National Security Advisor, uh, Deputy National Security Advisor, Heritage Foundation Fellow, and uh, Victoria wrote a column that I think we all need to hear about more uh, right now. Victoria, welcome. Thank you, Brian. Happy New Year. Uh, same to you. First off, your take on, from what you could tell, is happening in the Red Sea. The Iranians now sailing directly into our crosshairs, sending a warship there as the Houthis continue just to send rockets there while threatening Tel Aviv? Yeah, this is a disturbing development because just as uh, we are pulling the Ford aircraft carrier group out of the Mediterranean, uh, the Iranians are introducing a, a forward-leaning posture into the Red Sea. It's not unprecedented. The Alborz has been in the Red Sea before, but they're clearly flexing their muscles and not backing down at all. So the administration's kind of gestures and messages that they've been sending aren't really doing much to secure those vital shipping lanes through the Red Sea. It seems the U.K. government seems to be much more aggressive. They're stepping up pressure. They're, they're challenging the Houthis, saying uh, they're willing to take direct action against them. I don't really know if they have the firepower to back that up, but that's the way we should be talking. Don't you agree? Oh, absolutely, because, you know, the snarls and the problems that are about to start happening in global supply chains, you know, they are going to be coming home to roost in coming weeks because half the shipping through that through the Suez into the Mediterranean has already been diverted around Africa. So that's an extra week, 10 days uh, of, of time to get those cargoes where they're supposed to be. And I think the British feel very, very rightly urgent about this. And I think I went back to some reporting in Politico that didn't get a lot of attention at the beginning of December, which said the administration was deliberately not going to take any kind of major action against the Houthi because they wanted to get a peace deal between Yemen and Saudi Arabia. So that may be why the Europeans don't want to participate in this thing, because they know it's not going to actually do anything to secure shipping. 
Is that unbelievable? Uh, see, I, I, the Saudis, who obviously for the longest time said they are rocketing our borders, and we did nothing. In fact, we normalized, we didn't normalize relations. We took them off the terror list, that the Houthi rebels. So now we're saying the Houthis are a problem, and the Saudis are telling us, relax. Well, I think the Saudis just don't want to get shelled again. And bear in mind, the Biden administration took uh, the major Patriot batteries that we had in Saudi Arabia to defend them from these missiles. They took them out in late spring of 2021. So the Saudis are in many ways defenseless. And if they think the United States isn't going to isn't going to be there to support them in their defenses, yeah, they're going to say, you know, don't don't shoot at us. You know, Victoria, I was not aware of that. We took them out. Why? Uh, we said uh, now there is a process by which one rotates uh, patriots for uh, maintenance, and that's what the uh, Pentagon claimed was happening. But not you, you shouldn't do that maintenance when your ally is under attack, which is exactly what the Houthi did after they were taken off the terrorist list. They engaged in a new, fresh round of terrorist violence because uh, that's who they are. And, you know, the, the Saudis were having a lot of trouble getting their, their calls answered at that point. And that's when I think they decided, you know, they need to protect their people uh, if, if the United States isn't going to be there with them. Well, so, Victoria, you wrote a column uh, about what is going on. It's not getting much reporting either. The Bidens not only have trouble convincing these students that siding with Israel is the right thing to do, they're having problems dealing with their own staff who are actually holding protests in front of their White House? Yeah, this is this is really shocking, Brian. And, and importantly, I wrote the piece in The Hill with Jamie Metzl, who was a senior on the Clinton administration, National Security Council staff, and I was obviously on President Trump's. So Jamie and I agree to disagree on a lot of issues, but we found ourselves in strong agreement on this, that the, the political appointees who served the president in the White House do not have the right to go and protest publicly against their boss's policies. Nobody voted for them. Uh, Joe Biden is the one who got the votes, uh, regardless, again, of how I feel about that politically. You know, and, and they have internal channels for dissent. Uh, we have some of the most robust in the democratic world for that. And that's what they can use. And if they don't agree, they can resign. And I think what you're seeing, and, you know, I think a lot of Americans are feeling really uneasy about our global posture. And in many ways, it's because, you know, the, the normal process by which a policy is developed is breaking down. And so Jamie and I really wanted to kind of sound the alarm on that and say something is not working right in this White House. And I think we're seeing that dysfunction kind of play out around the world. It's terrible leadership. And if you can't get control of your staffers, you don't want to work for the White House leave. And you point out in your column, hey, Jefferson in 1793 left as Secretary of State because he didn't agree with George Washington. You brought up that William Jennings Bryant left uh, Woodrow Wilson's cabinet because he did not agree with his stance on Germany. That happens. And there's back channels now where people can have a dissent channel where people say, listen, I'm really concerned about whatever it is. Maybe it's in in this situation, Israel's uh, plan of attacking Gaza, whatever it is. You have a right to have an opinion, but you don't you don't have it's not an obligation for you to keep your job at the White House. You should be fired. Don't you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's and that's the title of the piece that these people need to be fired. And, you know, it's particularly disturbing. They, they bravely wore masks and sunglasses so that they couldn't be recognized at their protest. Uh, 
but they should be able to figure out who these who these guys are. And especially if they're on the National Security Council staff, those are such sensitive positions, Brian. You can't even walk into those offices without a TSSCI security clearance. So they should not be holding those jobs if they are in public uh, disagreement with, as I said, their duly elected boss. So, uh, Victoria, when you look at what's going on in the world, it is really on fire. I mean, you think about the Russians just uh, feasting on the Ukrainians who are better fighters, but they're now suffering from equipment problems uh, and weapons issues because it looks like Hungary is stopping the European Union from arming, fully arming the Ukrainians. And now we're having this debate on the border, justified debate about arming the Ukrainians. This is a critical time. If we watch Russia overwhelm Kiev after two years of showing that they are the better fighting force, and how inept the Russians are, that's as bad as the Afghanistan withdrawal. Oh, I think I think it's really horrible for the country. And our issue with uh, the, the Ukraine war from the Heritage Foundation point of view has not been that we, we don't care about beating Putin, which we very much do. Our problem has been with how the administration has spent taxpayer dollars on this issue. We were well over $100 billion. They won another 60-plus. Uh, at this point, and, and as you said, we're in this kind of grinding stalemate. The Europeans can't get their act together. I don't care why they can't, but the European, we can't care more about this than the Europeans do. I mean, it's literally on their doorstep. And so I think the president hasn't made a compelling case right. either to our allies or to the American people about why this is vital. And that's why I feel very strongly we need to have Ukraine aid as a standalone. We need to have that debate. We need to get that message from the president. Then let individual lawmakers uh, decide. I think there is a lot mm. of support for Ukraine because of their bravery, as you point out. But I think the American people see this in a broader context. And that's what that's what the president's really failed on. Victoria Coates, thanks so much for writing the column. I think you're highlighting two important points, many important points, but especially there. Can you imagine when your staff turns on you, let alone as you try to win re-election and win over, uh, dare I say, moderates, undecideds, maybe disinfected Republicans? If you can't win over your own staff, you're doomed. Victoria Coates and Jamie Metzl wrote the column in the Hill. Pick it up. Thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Back in a moment. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's only gained since he started getting indicted. Uh, You know, what you thought might be kryptonite for him has turned out to be battery packs. And this is a big one uh, for him. Uh, Presumably the Supreme Court will deal with it uh, fairly quickly. And I expect that they will leave him on the ballot. I do think it would rip the country apart if he were... uh, actually prevented from running because tens of millions of people uh, want to vote for him. I think if you're going to beat Donald Trump, you're going to probably have to do it at the poll. Yeah. How about that for a change? Now, look, uh, Donald Trump, people have problems with him. Think about this. I was just thinking about the other day. He wins an election. They tell him, oh, the Russia really helped you win the election. And uh, James Comey pulls him aside and says, I've got this tape about you, you know, something happened in Russia with 
a bunch of hookers and a bed and all these things. And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you, what are you saying? Then they captured National Security Advisor Michael Flynn talking in Puerto Rico about possible approachment with Russia because there was a problem in the Middle East. And you might remember where we voted to abstain from a key vote for Israel. He said, don't worry, hold on there. And then he, when he talked about Russia, they talked about possibly negotiating with him on some other deal. But having a reapproachment because the the relationship had been so bad. Whatever. Guess who tried to do that? Barack Obama. Guess what he tried to do? Reset the relationship with that misspelled word, right? And he pulled out all the missile systems from Russia, correct? Pulled out those missile systems, and they said, great, you're weak. I'm going to take advantage of you. And they take parts of Georgia, and they started reaffirming, started moving into Ukraine. They take the Donbass and just steal Crimea. So I don't want to digress too much. Just to say, then within a then within, uh, besides the Russia investigation, they decide to raid Michael Cohen's office about a five-year-old or 10-year-old uh, Stormy Daniels situation. However, that goes. Not a legal reason. We got to find out about campaign funds. We got to bring Michael Cohen down. Really? Okay. He's on the White House, longtime attorney and fixer for Trump, but you got to bring him down, raid his office. Next thing you know, you flip him and he begins to testify against Trump because Trump foolishly, I don't think, I think foolishly refused to pay his legal fees. He had no resources. He felt abandoned and he flipped. And we know uh, what Michael Cohen is and we know how he's acted since. He's been constantly under attack since, and since he makes it clear he's going to run again, they have the documents case, they got the Georgia case, then they got the case on January 6th, then they got the Alvin Bragg case, all these legal things popping up. And guess what happened along the way? No one predicted that he was going to get the jet fuel that David Axelrod at least admits is the case. So now you have a Secretary of State in Maine, and then you have a legislature in Colorado that says we're going to kick him off the ballot. Really? David, actually, do you realize how much harder you're making it for Democrats to win? Joe Biden, you think you're doing Joe Biden a favor? Have you not learned yet? You have civil cases. You have uh, rape accusations. You got these civil trials, whatever you want to do, these depositions. Nothing's hurting him. In fact, you're hurting Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Chris Christie of getting any lid, because now they're only talking about these cases, and people look at this, and justifiably so, not just Trump supporters go, it's a little over the top. Yeah, you shouldn't have taken the documents, but really? A little over the top. Really, the Georgia election protest, you know that phone call? There's a flip side to that phone call. He's saying find the votes, not make them up. He said they're out there, they haven't been counted yet. Then you flip all his attorneys. You have Jack Smith, who's totally belligerent about this, for gag orders on down. And people go, you know, life was better. The economy was better. We were not at war in Ukraine. We're not at war in uh, Israel. We had a presence in Afghanistan. Middle East wasn't coming apart. Abraham Accords moved in place. Uh, Iran was in a box. They were totally alienated from the mess of the Middle East. Uh, the economy was doing light years better. The trade deals were cascading in. Maybe things were better. And then these court cases come up and go, whoa, whoa, wait a second. What do you have against this guy? I mean, don't you think this is a little over the top? You know, it's like when someone tries to get in a bar and you go, okay, he doesn't have the right ID. And then the bouncer starts punching him. And you go, wait a second. Whoa, whoa. Maybe you don't have the right ID. But you don't beat the hell out of him. Meanwhile, Trump's punching back. So that was my analogy there. I try to do once in a while to do a non-sports uh, analogy. And then when you look what's happened at the border, does anybody think the border was better under Joe Biden? So I also caution everyone out there, and Trump's team has done a good job on this. Polls are not wins. 
You're not winning the division going for the playoffs with the primaries. They mean nothing. They're all projections. Small polls, especially in New Hampshire with 1.7 million people, I think, tops. When you get a poll of 500, I'm not too sure how comprehensive it is, not to put them down. And also, they like to change and do their own thing. They never follow Iowa's lead. Here's Kimberly Strasso, cut two. His worry right now is that expectations have been set pretty high, and that is the concern for him, is that if Nikki Haley does better than expected, if he comes in a third, especially when you look ahead at the following contests and her relative strength next to him, there could be a lot of pressure for him to get out of there. So this is going to be, that night is all about what the stakes are for Ron DeSantis and how he, he, he puts himself on the board. So you see what Trump has done? Now the stakes are Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. Not how well Trump's going to do, but can Ron DeSantis do enough to stay in? If DeSantis, who lost some donors, got it, who has got $36 million worth of attack ads on him, more than Trump and Nikki Haley combined, if he does not finish in the top two, then it's Nikki Haley really against Trump in New Hampshire. When we come back, I'm going to talk to Mike Huckabee about what an Iowa win means and what it doesn't mean. He won Iowa. Didn't win the second time, but won the first time. And what it meant for New Hampshire on down. Brian Kilmeade, I'm so glad you're here. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What was the cause of the United States Civil War? Well, don't come with an easy question or anything. I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. What do you think the cause of the Civil War was? I'm not running for president. I, 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 I wanted to see uh, your That's a good thing. on the cause of the Civil War. I mean, I think it always comes down to the role of government and what the rights of the people are. Thank you. And in, in the year 2023, it's astonishing to me that you answer that question without mentioning the word slavery. What do you want me to say about slavery? No, um, uh, you answered my question. That is pretty unbelievable, but that was the exchange on one of the slowest news periods ever uh, that you'll experience at any news cycle and was one of the few mistakes that Nikki Haley made. Why was she making it? What was behind it? Why not focus and just say, of course, it was fundamentally slavery, but it was more than that in people's view. Might have, you could start with that, uh, but she walked it back and was still measured in walking it back. Joining us now is Governor Mike Huckabee. Uh, he knows what it's like in the sprint to Iowa, 13 days right after the holidays. Knows what it's like to be unscripted constantly, and he sells at it. But I imagine there were a few you want back. Governor, what do you think the very uh, a fellow governor, Nikki, former governor, southern governor, was thinking with that question? I think that's the problem, Brian. I don't think she was thinking. Uh, look, I'm going to attribute some of it to exhaustion when you're in the middle of a campaign, particularly as you lead up to Iowa and you're there doing 18-hour days. I sometimes have described campaigns. It's hot Cokes and cold pizza instead of the other way around. And it's just eating every meal in your lap out of a sack while you're driving in a car for months. But even if it's exhaustion, it should have been a simple thing. She said, yeah. well, it's, of course, slavery. There were other factors. And this would never have been discussed beyond that room in Iowa. But because of just the intense spotlight that is on every candidate trying to be number two to Donald Trump in Iowa, it's just blown up in her face. And I don't think she's been able to extract herself from it uh, even since the moment. 
You know, it's so interesting because we've never seen anything like it because, you know, she's in second or third, depending on the yeah. state. But you know that she's really not going after the first place guy. And she's only going to, and DeSantis is going after Haley more than than Haley, than uh, than Trump. Here's Ron DeSantis on the, the on the slip up by Haley. Cut nine. She getting scrutiny now has not held up well. Uh, I think she says things when she gets off script. She tends to make big mistakes. The media has really given her a free pass for the last six weeks uh, trying to pump her up. But I think the more and more voters see that, it's one thing to read off a teleprompter. It's one thing to read talking points. But are you going to be able to actually speak from a position of, of conviction? And you either understand the foundations of America or you don't. So it's interesting. So he's capitalized on that big time. So did Chris Christie. And you know, Governor, I know firmly you're, you're a Trump supporter, right? I am. Yes. Right. But you I, I also are a Republican. That, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to support the nominee. If it's not Trump, I'll support our nominee. Uh, but I think it's going to be Trump. And I think it ought to be, especially in light of what he's been put through. Uh, to me, it'd be a shame because if what happens to Trump is successful with the Democrats trying to take him off the ballot and uh, Joe Biden using the police state power to uh, disrupt his very existence, if that happens, then the same thing's going to happen if it's Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley or anybody else. This is going to be the new playbook. We won't be worried about how many ballots we have. It's how do we get that person off the ballot to begin with? And then you end up with the weakest possible candidate who is the last man standing. That's not a way to run an election in a free uh, republic. It just isn't. So, you know, you know, it's proof to what you're saying. The $35 million worth of attack ads on Ron DeSantis when he had that convincing reelection victory and when he had looked as one of the most promising politicians throughout the COVID crisis and was willing to take on President Trump, everyone on the left thought we got to take him down, including Donald Trump wanted to take him down, but he got a lot of help. And then when it became clear that Trump was the prevailing leader, if not the winner, they backed off. But they were going after his jugular. He was a racist. He was a sexist. Uh, he was autistic. You know, people are saying that, you know, what do you, the stuff they were coming after him at was just crazy. And all of a sudden uh, they it's were down. On, yeah, they were picking on what kind of shoes he was wearing. I mean, it was ridiculous. But understand, Brian, because I've been in elective politics for over 30 years. Politics is a demolition derby. And anybody who uh, thinks they're going to run when they ask me, hey, I'm thinking about running for office, what do you think? My first response to them is, if you can't stand the side of your own blood, don't do this, because there are going to be moments you're going to come off the field in a gurney. You won't always come off on the shoulders of your teammates uh, with a trophy in your hand. Right. There are going to be times when you'll barely get off the field and you'll be carried off, uh, wounded and bleeding, and you have to be prepared for that. So president did not win Iowa in 2016. You have won Iowa. What does it mean? How do you win it? And what does it mean if you do? I think. The way to win Iowa is to connect with voters in a very personal way. It means being there. Um, Mitt Romney bought the last 500 foot of every radio and television tower in Iowa, and he still didn't win. And I think the reason is, is because Iowans want you to show up. They want you to look them in the eye, shake their hand and ask directly right to their face for their vote. Now, they're not going to tell you they'll vote for you until probably the day before the caucus. But that's a lot of what it takes. What it means is, is because it's the first real contest, 
And it's also a different contest. It's not that you can vote early and you can just send in a ballot secretly. You show up in your neighborhood with your friends, your neighbors, the folks you shop with, go to church with, and you have to stand up and be counted when they say all the people that want to vote for Trump get over in this corner, folks for Haley get over here, folks for DeSantis get over here. Uh, you take a stand and you have to be willing to uh, to be counted in the presence of your neighbors. And then if your guy doesn't get the first ballot, you have to pick another candidate. And this is usually on a snowy, cold, brutal night in the Iowa winter. So it's serious people uh, taking this stuff very seriously. And there is an advantage to that. I think that these are not casual voters who just show up because they got nothing else to do. They are committed to going and caucusing for the candidate of their choice. So you did. Do you remember roughly 13 days out where you were in the most polls? We were beginning to really surge. And, and that's what you look for is, is there a candidate who is suddenly breaking out of the pack? And that's what was happening. It was basically Romney and me in 08. Uh, McCain was a distant third. He, he really didn't put much time into Iowa. He was focused on New Hampshire. He was kind of running what I would call the Chris Christie idea, and to some degree, Nikki Haley, because Nikki's not focused on Iowa. Um, and at that point, we were beginning to really move forward. And the caucuses then were on January the 2nd, so they were right after Christmas. And a lot of folks, you know, were coming out of the Christmas break, just celebrating New Year, and the next night they got to go caucus. So we were clipping it right at the right time, starting in the early part of December, and the momentum continued through all of December, and then we won uh, decisively on January the 2nd. What I don't see happening is that neither DeSantis nor Haley, they're not breaking out. They're pretty much stalled where they have been. Nikki had a little bit of an increase, but it wouldn't qualify as a surge. Donald Trump still has more, uh, at least in the polling, that's not always accurate for a caucus, but he's showing more support than all of the other candidates put together, with none of them uh, getting even close to half of his numbers. And, and that really puts a real challenge for both Nikki and, and Ron DeSantis. So one thing we do know is that Trump is not taking it for granted. And I found out that his team, and I think you probably know this better than most, is has been most effective than any other team. Now, better than 2016 by far, better than 2020, even with the White House. And they have been working it hard. And Trump's messages don't take it for granted. He wants a, a massive win in Iowa, New Hampshire, and a knockout before Super Tuesday. If you're his, if those things, and South Carolina, and then there will be Nevada, too. Uh, but if those things happen, if, do you stay in longer because of the court cases if you're a fellow Republican? Do you stay – if you're someone like Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, well-resourced, do you stay in longer than normal because I don't know what a conviction will mean. By most people, if he's convicted of anything, right or wrong, that he loses, he loses uh, to Biden in the polls. He goes for a Wall Street Journal poll, had him up four – Head to head, but down one if convicted. So does that does that change your mindset if you're a contender? It might, but here's the big challenge for those guys: Do they have enough money to stay on their feet? Yeah. And that's what happens when you start losing these early contests. 
you're going to wake up in the morning and see that nobody sent a check your way. Nobody's online contributing. And when you don't have gas, your car doesn't run. It's really simple. And the reason that, you know, most of us end up getting out of the race, and I would say this, it's harder to get out than it is to get in. It's the most painful decision that one ever makes as a candidate, and that's the decision to suspend a campaign. Because you put your heart, your soul, your families in it. you hired people. They're all depending on you. Um, It's just gut-wrenching to look at your folks that are with you and say, we're done. We can't go on. We're out of dough. Uh, You know, there's no fuel left in the tank. Folks, we got to shut this down. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons is because the candidate deep down knows that if you run into a debt, you become personally responsible for that. As I've eaten a lot of debt, Wow. And people say, hey, how come you don't run again? I said, because I can only mortgage my home so many times before my wife puts a bullet right through the middle of my forehead. That's why. So people don't understand the even financial uh, obligations that you have as a candidate, especially, Brian, when you find out that somebody in some distant county you've never even been to ordered a bunch of yard signs and he didn't pay for him. And the campaign is over, and the printer calls and says, who's going to pay for this? You said, pay, pay for what? We have no idea. Nobody authorized it. But guess who's on the hook to pay for it? The candidate. So it's, it's not as cut and dried as people think. And to stay in the campaign when you don't have any money coming in puts you in a very vulnerable place on a personal level unless you're personally wealthy. Mm-hmm. If you're Mitt Romney, no problem. You can write a check. But if you're Nikki Haley, I don't know that she's – Uber wealthy. I doubt Ron DeSantis is. Um, and it's hard to raise money when your campaign's over. It's, that's the toughest job in the world. Hey, help me pay for something that died. You know, it, folks don't want to do it. And so uh, ultimately, you spend the next couple of years of your life right. with every penny you earn paying off your campaign debt. You know what's so interesting is it's really two jobs. One is to get the job. You have to have a certain bunch of uh, skill set. But yet it might not mean you can do the job. And yet so many contenders lose because they maybe are not great at getting the job, but would have been great presidents had they got the job. You had the skill set for both. Is Debt aside, does that also burn you where you think, man, I, I know what this country means. I know what I bring to the table. I know I could have done the job. You know, it, it's, it's difficult because you deep down ran because you thought you could do the job. It wasn't just that you thought you wanted to chase the, the car down the street like the dog. You really believe that if given the opportunity, you could lead and make good decisions. But on the other hand, you have to step back and have an honest talk with yourself and say, you know, uh, I gave it my best shot. Yeah. I offered myself and the people said no. And so maybe it was circumstances, maybe it was lack of money, maybe your ideas didn't click with the right folks, and maybe you just didn't get the exposure. In 2016, the biggest problem that we all faced was that Donald Trump got 90% of all of the media attention. He would make a speech for 45 minutes, and the networks would carry the entire 45 minutes. In August of 2015, when it was really important to start kind of getting traction – Uh, There was a survey done just on CNN, and it was determined that Donald Trump uh, got like, I think it was in the month of August, 280 minutes of news time. Uh, Guys like me and others, Christy, uh, Rand Paul and others, we got less than three minutes each. Wow. 
it's it's simply not possible to compete when nobody is right. thinking you're even running because they don't hear about you, and all they hear is about one candidate. So the domination, and the, this is where media plays really, to me, an outsized role and one that can be very unfair, but it's it's the system we have. Even, even it's if just it was, the way it works. And even though a lot of that was attacking and condemning and saying this is unbelievable what he just said, I, I can't believe yeah. how bad it is, but still no one's talking about it. Then you go on and you go, can you believe how bad Donald Trump is? Like, can you ask me about my policy? And guess what yeah. happened? This time people were prepared. Other networks were prepared to ignore him. And then came the court cases. And that blew right. the field up again. And guess what happened last week? People were saying, how bad was it that Colorado kicked him off the ballot? Here's Ron DeSantis in the most critical week of his campaign trying to hold on to his donors. And he's got to defend the guy that's beating him. I think I lost yeah, the governor. It- Oh, no, I'm here. I I thought you were playing a clip. No, No, absolutely. And when that happens, Brian, you know, it's it's like you finally get an interview and somebody says, "Okay, let's talk about uh, we have Mike Huckabee on the line. Uh, Governor, tell us, what do you think about what Donald Trump said yesterday? (laughs) And that's what's happening to DeSantis right now. Nobody's saying, Ron DeSantis, tell us about your border policy. They're saying, hey, Governor DeSantis, why don't you tell us about Donald Trump's uh, uh, this issue with Colorado or with the main secretary of state. And he looks at himself and says, can we not talk about me? It's like the Toby Keith song, you know, <laughs> I want it to be about me, me, me. And right. nobody's talking because all they want to do is talk about uh, Trump. And it's, it's why it's very difficult for one of these candidates to break out because for the most part, people just aren't paying attention to what they're saying. And another thing, Brian, that I want to mention A lot of Americans are so angry with the way the country is being run. They are not really looking for someone to sit down and give them a six-point plan of how to fix it. They want someone to come in with a flamethrower and burn the place down and start over. And there's that much seething anger among the American people when they see a border that's out of control, when they see soldiers left in Afghanistan and millions and billions of dollars worth of military equipment when they see their inability to buy groceries and gasoline, and they're no longer yeah. interested in somebody's multi-point uh, plan or their PowerPoint presentation or their slick words, mm-hmm. they want someone to come and say, I will fight for you, and we will stop this craziness. Hey, That's Governor, what they look for. Right, and thanks so much for the interview for my book. Uh, that was fantastic. You have, you're a great talk show host, and your show is oh, excellent. Thank you. We love having you. You're fun to have because <laughs> – uh, you make it easy. I just turn you loose, and, and you have some phenomenal content. And I hope your book is just flying off the shelf, and people got it for Christmas. They should have. Go get them, Governor. I'll talk to you again soon. It's going to be an exciting year. Uh, Governor Mike Huckabee, when we come back, I finish up with your calls, one 408 7669 Brian Kilmeade Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So I got the Teddy and Booker T book out, bestseller, uh, New York Times bestseller, four weeks now. And I just uh, thank everyone for picking it up. Talk about two American icons blazing a path to racial equality. But that, along with the other books and all the Fox information, we have fun. Uh, it's going to be a fun, exciting afternoon. 
I'm talking about Rialto Square Theater in Joliet, Illinois. Uh, Fox Nation's going to stream it, but you better be there in person. VIP opportunities to get a chance to meet with you before the show and after. Just picture entertaining, patriotic, motivational, inspirational. If you've seen it before, spread the word. Uh, we're almost sold out in this theater. I'd love to see you in person. It's the biggest one I think we've ever been at. So uh, go to BrianKillMe.com or Ticketmaster and order tickets. Brian Kill Me Show. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome to 2024. Hope you had a fantastic break. If you had one or worked right through it, it's been uh, there's a lot going on and there's so much queued up. I'm just seeing the rundown of what's going to be taking place over the next few weeks, let alone the rest of the year, the court cases. But you have a caucus, the 15th, that's 13 days away. You got the you have a debate on the 10th. You have uh, another ABC debate on the 18th on the Republican side. And every day you wonder if this is going to be Joe Biden's last day to stay in the race. We got Patrick Murphy, the esteemed congressman turned uh, UPenn professor, uh, 32nd Undersecretary of the Army, Iraq War vet, uh, and a former congressman from Pennsylvania. And Michael Waltz coming up this hour. So before we go any further, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This has just become the most extraordinary political liability for Democrats right now. Just two months ago, Senator Chuck Schumer was saying we will not have a discussion about any policy changes at the border. We'll throw money at it, but nothing else. That is Kimberly Strassel. Uh, Here we go. There are impactful negotiations going on right now. Senator Langford has informed me that they were meeting throughout the break. They only took off on Christmas and New Year's and the day after Christmas. And my hope is they get a monster deal done to change the rules and asylum at the border, not just Border Patrol and the wall. But everything, change the policies, and then they get the Iraq war funded and they get Israel funded. Next. Number two. We've got significant national security interests in the region just on our own, the United States. And we're going to put the kind of forces we need in the region to protect those interests. And we're going to act in self-defense going forward. And we're talking about the Houthi rebels. They're going after us. The Red Sea is on fire. Meanwhile, we ramped up attacks for the first time. U.S. choppers off, I think, the deck of the USS Eisenhower took out three uh, ships for the little boats, uh, Houthi boats, who were trying to board a commercial vessel. This is just the beginning as Iran now rolls in their warship right into the region. Number one. It would rip the country apart if he were... Uh actually prevented from running because tens of millions of people uh, want to vote for him. I think if you're going to beat Donald Trump, you're going to probably have to do it at the poll. Yeah, I think so, David Axelrod. You're 100% right. For the first time, we were talking about a 2024 election in 24. What a relief. New polls. A body blow to Joe Biden. Legal cases challenges seem to, as you just heard David Axelrod say, fuel Donald Trump. 13 days from the Iowa caucus. And six days later, we'll have the New Hampshire primary. It's exciting, even for Patrick Murphy. Uh, as I mentioned, he's the, the former congressman from Pennsylvania, a state that Donald Trump has to win, and undersecretary of the Army Iraq War vet. Congressman, welcome back. Hey, Brian, thanks so much. Happy 2024, brother. It's going to be a great year, man. I do. First off, good news. Uh, I think that uh, Senator Fetterman is doing much better physically. Don't you agree? I, I agree, and I'm really, I'm really proud of him. Um, you know, you and I have talked about this. 
mental health is just as important as physical health. You know, whether you're a combat soldier with the 82nd Airborne Division like I was or, or an American citizen. And, and him speaking out like he did, him coming forward saying we had to stand by Israel like he did, uh, I'm really proud of him. And I think uh, he's finding the sea legs there in the U.S. Senate. He's like you because he's a Democrat, sure. But you also understand the border's busted. He's offended by it. He says, we're letting people in. We're basically the population of Pittsburgh every week. Yeah. And, he, and, and that's Pennsylvania, where you represent and he represents, where you represent it. He also said, Senator Menendez, yeah, Santos is bad. But Menendez, just as bad, if not worse. Yep. And kind of mocked him. Fellow Democrat, this is the type of reasonable politicians you need. Yeah, I'm a party person. Yeah, go ahead. Vote the way you want. But also do what's right for the country. Right, right. We want people, most Americans, Brian, as you know, whether you're in Jacksonville, Florida, New York City, Iowa, wherever, they want to put the country first. Like, stop with the politics, stop with the political parties. Let's get some American leadership back here in our country, now Washington, D.C. And, you know, and I think that's what you're seeing. To your point on immigration, there's three million backlog cases. And, and, and how this works is, is that, you know, there's like three or four years till those cases are even heard. Only 13% of them will get asylum. You know, if you get asylum, as you know, you get citizenship, right? So we got to do a better job. In New York City, there's 4,000 migrants that come here a week. They spent, I was reading over the weekend, Brian, New York City spent $4.6 million to fly migrants to other cities in America. Like, this is crazy. This is a national security issue. So I am praying. I'm hopeful that Senator um, Lankford and Murphy come together. They give a plan that's a bipartisan plan that has a big plan for comprehensive immigration reform. So we protect our borders. We get it right. And this is a long-term solution here. Right. I don't think they'll do comprehensive because there's too much involved in that. There's a lot of stuff they agree on, on the visa stuff that will bore people to death but really affects, like, Canadians and and other students here that is not controversial. It just needs to be updated. But – I think if they could just change the asylum rules, the way in which we are accepting people into the border and allowing these cartels to make billions while they ferry people in, the word is this is the one time to get into America and you can stay for seven years before a trial. And they know exactly what to say. Now, this is what Langford just texted me, some of which is on background, so I can't read that. But here's what he told me. He said, uh, he goes, we continued negotiations every day for the past two weeks, except for Christmas Eve and Christmas and the day after Christmas. Progress made, but hard issues remain. People seem to like Langford and they respect Murphy's stance on this. My feeling is if they just put, if they say I'm going to finish the wall and they say they're going to uh, get more Border Patrol, they wasted our time. Right, right. And that's why I think, you know, and, and we are at a crisis. I mean, I mentioned New York City, but Bram Shreese all over the weekend. The state of California is going to pay $3.1 billion Nuts. for health care for, for, for the migrants. And again, you know, I, as you know, Brian, I'm a devout Catholic, right? And, and Matthew chapter 25, 45, you know, Jesus says, you know, what have you done for the least among us? You've done to me. I, I get it. I'm compassionate. We are a nation of immigrants. But let's just do it the right way here. Let's figure out a way to make sure we have national security. We cannot have illegal terrorist come through our southern border and, and commit crimes in our country. And we can't let them come in and say, all right, in seven years or four years, whatever it's going to be, right. that's when you'll get your court case. That's crazy. And and we're putting all this pressure on cities and states across America. So we got to get this right. I'm really proud. Chris Murphy, as you know, Senator Murphy, he was my classmate, Brian, when I came to Congress. 
Uh, you know, we were both 33 years old as members of Congress, as freshmen. Uh, he's a good man. Uh, he's done a lot of good work for our nation. Langford's also a good man. So I'm hoping they can have a plan forward that people can come together. I get it, though. The people on the far left and the far right are going to be – whatever they say, they're going to be against because there's just – it's easier to tear things down than build things up. But we got to build our country back up together, and we got to do it the right way. But there's other thing is you could have compassion. That's why we have foreign aid. Right. And it, you have to understand, too, and the Catholic charity should understand this, that if you tell people who are living in object poverty, if you get across the border, you can stay for seven years, you'll have a place to live, like they say in New York, right, to shelter, and – We'll pay for your food. We will do your laundry. And now, if you live in California, we will give you health care. Right. These, these people are going to go, you know what? Ecuador, I, I was living there. But why should I live in this squalor yeah. when I come to America yes, and let them go into debt paying <laughs> for my, my needs? Brian, you know, my, I come from military family. Right? I've done two combat deployments. My brother's done two deployments in the Air Force. He did search and rescue. He just, he just moved away from California. He said it, he called it California crazy. But you realize we're talking about $3.1 billion. Is yeah. your brother a no, Democrat? No, he's independent. He's independent. Oh. Like, I was on a foot in my whole life until I ran for Congress and became Democrat. But uh, and again, I'm a proud to be Democrat. So I'm not, but I'm just saying, like, my brother lived in California. Do you know what their deficit is a year? $68 billion a year in deficit. Like, and again, and this is adds another $3.1 billion. Like, enough is enough. And again, just wait until they pay reparations. Right. <laughs> Don't get me started. Like, hey, brother, what I say is this budgets are moral documents. And, and I look at, and again, this, both parties have been wrong. I talked about this in Congress, I voted the right way on this stuff. And I try, try to tackle wasteful spending, save tens of billions of dollars in wasteful taxpayer spending. But I, this is my point. We are now $32 trillion in our national debt. It's crazy. We are spending you – know, it's a bad credit card. Do you know what we pay on the interest rate of our national debt? And we have to pay interest on it. $650 billion a year. That is more than every federal agency except Department of Defense. Every single one. So, again – I, what I'm tired is both parties, whoever's in charge, when they, they, ladies and gentlemen, come together, put your big boy, big girl pants on, and let's get after it. Let's stop the deficit spending. Let's stop adding to our debt because Maggie Murphy and Jack Murphy, my two young kids back in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, are both owe to our nation $100,000 in national debt. Every single American, that is immoral, and it's getting worse, not better, brother. Right. And so if we don't stand up and do something about it, we are wrong, and we just can't keep passing the buck. All right, so I can go a few different ways with you now, uh, Congressman, because we're looking at over the weekend just to watch these Houthi rebels tee off on these commercial vessels. They've already taken one. They're just shooting at us. We're only allowed not to go after the rebels. We can only knock their rockets out of the sky. Now, over the weekend, with three ships sink us, uh, zeroing in on a commercial vessel, a Maersk vessel, we sent a chopper off the USS Eisenhower to take them out. How much longer do you think we can exist with this current policy? I, I'm fully aware about escalation, but they're mocking us at this point. And then you got the word this morning that Iran was sending in their warship right near us. Yeah, you've heard me talk about this, Brian. To me, I've been very clear, man. Houthis are, are not good for the world. They are trying to overthrow the Yemen government. They are a Shia movement. They have the same slogan as Iran, death to America, death to Israel. Five years ago, North Korea gave them arms to the Houthi via Syria. So, again, when you look, when I, I as you heard me say this, I talk about the mnemonic cringe, China, Russia. Iran, 
North Korea, and extremist groups. Houthi is one of the number one extremist terrorist group in the world. They are evil. They are this Shia movement uh, that are trying to hurt our soldiers that are deployed over there, that are trying to hurt Israel, that are trying to hurt freedom-loving countries. Uh, and it's wrong. And we can't look the other way. We need to stand strong and make sure that they know you must with the United States. Someone else is going to be raising your kids. Well, I, mean, I know you're an Army guy, but just knowing where they are and doing some legitimate damage to them, do you think we have the intelligence? Do we have the satellites? Do we have the coordinates to blow to do significant damage immediately? Or is that a problem? Yes and yes. Yes and yes, that we have the intelligence. We have even cybersecurity, uh, offensive cyber operations um, that, all I will say, is may or may not be happening. Um, could we always have more? Could we do better? Of course, right? And, and that's why we make major investments in that. That's why, you know, the National Defense Authorization Act is, you know, over $800 billion a year. Uh, but we want to make sure that when we are protecting American interests, when we are protecting the sovereignty of our own nation, that we want to be doing it over there and not, you know, in the, the coast of uh, Florida, not not in the coast of California. Right. Not, not, you know, th- and that's that's the important part. We want to play away games uh, and projection of our force, uh, not home games. So I want you to hear these protests, and then I want you to answer this question. Where are these protests taking place? Cut 15. Right, that's the quiz. We could we could bore you with the rest of it. Where do you think that chant was taking place? I, I don't know if you're setting me up for failure here, brother. I, I hope not in the United States of America. How but... about New York City? Uh, they were chanting for the they they the Houthi rebels are located in Yemen. If you don't know out there, and they're say they're proud, the birthplace of Osama bin Laden, right, or ancestral home. So they're proud that they're they're going after commercial vessels in this area. This is happening in New York City. Where does that come from? There's just been undercurrent of hate and 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 college campuses and other and people have been asleep at the wheel. I've talked about this when I was a member of Congress. I did a bill that 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 stood up against the uh, European Union when they were letting their they were boycotting Israeli academic professors from teaching in the EU colleges and universities. It was wrong. And, and we've seen it and you've you've heard me talk. I'm a proud lecturer at Wharton Business School. Uh you know, I'm an entrepreneur or otherwise known as a vetrepreneur, but I will tell you whether it's the the clip that you just shared or them singing out, you know, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Uh, this is the problem. They're doing it when you know they just got done kidnapping and raping Israeli girls and Israeli women. Um, rape is not a weapon of war. It should never be. That is a crime against humanity. And for them just to look the other way, then I'm going to celebrate. Attacks on commercial ships, which are, aren't in a fight there, uh, and and it, it just it just boggles my mind. See, where's this come from? Number one, are they Yemen? Are they from the Middle East, and they're just taking their war here, or are they here uh, part of a global protest movement that we watch with Black Lives Matter be uh, started originally, and these other protests that crop up? My sense, Patrick, is that they don't sit around the coffee shops, these eighteen to twenty-two year olds, and talking about the Palestinians or the Houthi rebels. Where the hell did this come from? Right. Well, th- this is where it comes from. Part of it's from China. Uh, and if you haven't seen the reports, Brian, and, and you and I have been straight on this, China does not like us. They are number one strategic competitor. And, and 
It is what it is. But when you look at TikTok, which is the Trojan horse of what China is trying to do, beside their secret police stations in New York City and elsewhere, beside them buying up farmland outside of our military installations, beside what they do, China, there are millions of accounts on TikTok that are pushing this crap that you're hearing on that clip, uh, that your listeners are hearing, that are going to the younger Americans that are on TikTok. They're on TikTok. They're actually not on Facebook. They're not on Instagram, they're mostly on TikTok. I've talked to my kids. My daughter, Maggie Murphy, honor student, student government representative. Brian Fitzpatrick's sister-in-law teaches her, Kathleen Fitzpatrick, um, you know, because we live in the same neighborhood. I know you know Brian, uh, former FBI agent, now U.S. member of Congress in Bucks County. I, I say this. Her classmates, some of her classmates say, well, hey, well, what they're, they're abusing, you know, it's, they're hurting Muslims in, in Palestine. Israel's not hurting Muslims. Israel's not – we want a free Palestine. We want Palestine to live in peace. We want them to make sure that they have a right government. The Hamas government is a Hamas terrorist organization, and their leaders aren't even in Palestine. They're in places like Yemen or Djibouti. And, and that is the frustrating part is because they get these 30-second, 60-second clips that no one wants people to get hurt. No one wants to see the destruction. But that's why we need political – basically solutions here. And that's why when I say yeah. these mnemonics, I cringe. This is what we got to look after because it's not checkers, Brian, as you know. This yeah, is they're, chess. They're moving ahead. And, yeah. with, and, and that's why the Russians and Chinese are celebrating that we're distracted over in the Middle East right now. And so the Iranians celebrating that we put the Abraham Accords on hold. Right. Uh, Patrick Murphy, thanks so much. It would be great to get ahead of this instead of reacting to it. Uh, I'll see you soon. All right, brother. Thank you, man. Thanks Appreciate so much. you having me on. You got it. one 866 Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Got a couple of minutes here. Uh, let's go to the phones. Rob, you're in Virginia. Hey, Rob. Hey, Brian. Great show. Uh, you were talking with your last guest, and you 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 brought up. The uh, the organized uh, protest uh, uh, protesting. My deal is this: I've seen a lot of it breaking out, and a lot of them seem to be sporting the same clothing and the same signs, and they all show up. I mean, maybe a thousand people, uh, very organized and cohesive. So my question is, who is funding it? They have to get the, the funding from somewhere. Their material, their propaganda material. Their travel itineraries. I know it's not just people who happen to have that clothing and signs uh, that come I, from. Rob, I hear you. I think the same thing. They have to be getting paid. Two o'clock in the afternoon, stopping traffic on Bell Parkway, stop closing bridges. You have to pay these people, and that's what's so sickening about it. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We don't seek a conflict uh, wider in the region. We certainly aren't looking for a conflict with the Houthis. Uh, the best outcome here would be for the Houthis to stop these attacks. Uh, and we have an obligation with our allies and partners to keep the flow of commerce moving there. The Houthis should stop these attacks. Yeah, that would be great. I'm sure Admiral Kirby, now the Houthis will stop. I understand he's a spokesperson, but we just sound so weak. 
Joining us now is Congressman Michael Waltz, uh, House Armed Services Committee member, Green Beret, rich military background. Congressman, we were able to talk over the weekend a little bit about the, the Houthi rebels, what they're up to, and how they're not backing off. They lost three ships because they got too close to a commercial vessel. Our choppers took them out. But now we have an Iranian ship in the region. What do you hear? What, what is our next move? Yeah, Brian, I mean, that, that clip from Kirby really is incredible. Essentially what he's saying to kind of translate the, the Diplo Washington speak is yes. we're going to send the Houthis a strongly worded letter. It's going to be really tough and, and mean language in there to say you guys better back off or else. The problem is nobody in the region buys that the or, the or else or the so what uh, is actually going to hurt them. Uh, and I know from uh, from very well-placed sources uh, uh, from within the military that our ship captains, two of them uh, come from Jacksonville, two of those destroyers in the Red Sea uh, near near my district. Those ship captains are not authorized to shoot at the Houthis actually launching the missiles. Uh, so they're out there. They call it in the Navy the archer and the arrow. Uh, they're authorized to shoot down the missiles themselves and the drones themselves, but not at the actual launchers. Uh, it, it has to go all the way back to the White House for that because of this uh, de-escalation policy that, uh, that Biden has put out. And eventually, Brian, one of those missiles, one of those drones, one of those rockets are going to get through and cause catastrophic damage to one of our ships. Our sailors right now are sitting out there as Houthi target practice. Uh, And it's just it's infuriating. And I don't know what it's going to take to get this administration to wake up, hit back at the Houthis and not just the Houthis themselves, the Iranians that are providing the missiles, the drones, the training, the speedboats. Uh, and until we do that, uh, you know, again, one of them are going to get through at some point, and uh, and we're going to hold Biden responsible. God forbid if that happens. Do you think it's coincidence that the U.S. General for USS Gerald Ford is leaving the region, and in comes Iran's Al Bor's warship into the Red Sea? Yeah. Well, but here's the other. Here's like the spill-on effects to what they're doing with this bad policy. They're having to pull ships from other places in the world to surge them into the Middle East. So we have two aircraft carriers that are there. Uh, They should have been in the Pacific uh, deterring China. Instead, they're sitting over in the Middle East, and nobody buys that we're actually going to have the political will to use them to hit back. And then the other thing is the Ford should have been home by Christmas. All of those crews have been out there the better part of this year. Their families were expecting them home by Christmas. And when you have those sailors thinking about and talking to their families about, should I re-enlist in the middle of a recruiting crisis, that all weighs in. And then the last thing is when they come home, they should be in periods of maintenance for repair and refit so that they're ready if needed. Now all of that will get backlogged and delayed and when, we're, when, when you have Chairman Xi of China telling his military to be ready in 2027 to go after Taiwan, mm. that's only a few years from now. These ships take months and months, if not years, to be ready to go again. So I, I, I'm just trying to you know, explain to everybody the spill-on effects when you surge all of these assets to the Middle East yeah. and then they sit there and Biden just allows them to get shot at. It's insane. It's insane. And our Secretary of Defense does nothing. I guess he does not have that power. Uh, when the last one lost his power and influence, Mattis resigned. Uh, so if this guy is, it just seems like General Austin. It's just so uh, complacent. 
doesn't he really give, even though he's a big, strong guy, he does not come off like that. So everything how about this? Goes- Biden, every, I mean, excuse me, everything goes back to the White House, Brian. And, and this was the same This is same team that was under Obama, that was around Obama, is now around Biden. They won a weak defense department, uh, and, and they make sure everything goes to the White House. The, the Pentagon doesn't have the authority to make these calls, yeah, which is also a huge problem. Jake Sullivan, Anthony Blinken calling call the shots. Does that exude right. strength and confidence? No. And now, Susan about- Rice and John Kerry behind the scenes. That's absolutely right. And you believe that? Oh, absolutely. Oh. Uh, look, look, look closely at, at some of these big meetings with she, uh, with other heads of state and overseas. When Biden goes overseas, you'll see Blinken, you'll see Sullivan, and then right down uh, a little bit down the table, you see John Kerry. Now, why is the climate envoy in all of these different meetings? And remember that Sullivan, Finer, who is Sullivan, uh, his deputy, Blinken, they all came up under Susan Rice. John Kerry and Hillary Clinton when she was Secretary of State. So, you know, people ask all the time who's really calling these foreign policy shots. It's been the same team since 08, and that's why the world is on fire. And even the four years that Trump was in, they ran around the world and undermined them from the Iran deal to climate to everything right. else. See, I know so, we're being played. Yeah, it, we're going yeah. to need a strategist, and it's not on their roster. So, for example, we know who's benefiting from this, Russia, because it can uh, fight with impunity with Ukraine, maybe get some resources. Who else has yep. helped? China, because we no longer have resources as, as high as as strong as we can in that region also Who else has helped China? Because we're not talking about Taiwan every day anymore. We're not talking about Ukraine like we used to, let alone the Patriot missiles or the strategies. The other thing is you see North Korean arms with the Houthis, and now we see Chinese arms with Hamas. What What more evidence do you need to see that they are benefiting and supporting and maybe orchestrating all of this? Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, this is the 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 axis of evil. Uh, she said it when he met with Putin, when he had his um, his summit with Putin. He said this is a once-in-a-century opportunity. He means right now with this weakness in the White House to change the world order. And he said to Putin, and we're going to do it together. Uh, you also see Iranian uh, arms going uh, to Russia. You see all of them helping Venezuela and Nicaragua right in our, right in our backyard. So – you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's amazing that Biden sees himself as the bulwark against authoritarianism. Actually, all of the authoritarians see opportunity right now, and they're all on the march. And it is a very dangerous world, particularly with our own southern border wide open and the FBI director ringing the alarm bells. Uh, you have a big story that you, you uh, turned my attention to, and I want to get to in a second, but you're an Army guy mm-hmm. with – uh, what's happening in Gaza, from best you can ascertain from the intelligence you know, are you convinced the IDF has a good strategy? Do you think they're achie- on their route to achieving their goals? I see what they're taking over. I see the tunnels they're uncovering. I see the weapons caches they're getting. Uh, but I also see there is, there, is a other, there is a civilian toll. How do you yeah. characterize their campaign? Well, look, I think the IDF is doing the absolute best they can. Urban warfare with an enemy that hides behind civilians is literally the most difficult mission you could they, – they could hand you. Uh, what I'm worried about is the aftermath uh, and, and the IDF being sucked into an urban counterinsurgency fight. We saw how difficult 
that was in our own experience in Iraq. I don't see how the IDF gets out of it at this point. Uh, the, the Israeli leadership and the administration are talking about some ill-defined international force that's going to come in and demilitarize Gaza. There's not clear who's going to pay for the rebuilding. Mm -hmm. I think the Gulf Arabs should have a a big role. No one trusts the U.N. to do it. Uh, And then they're talking about eventually, time ill-defined, a de-radicalized Palestinian authority. Well, that's, you know, I mean, we've had 50, 60 years of the Palestinian authority being corrupted and de-radicalized. So it's the political, you know, how do you win the peace part of it that I don't see a clear way out and that means the the Israeli military is going to be kind of holding the bag, so to speak. Uh, and as long as Iran is flush with cash, pumping money and arms in into uh, that region, then you still have the other shoe to drop with Hezbollah in Israel's north. Uh, and with Israel having, I mean, they've got nearly a hundred thousand people displaced out of that of their own citizens because of uh, Hezbollah. I think that conflict is still has yet to erupt. All right. And lastly, they did a big study, took a couple of years for the military to find out about the extremists in their midst. What did that study show? It showed uh, that what every veteran knows, that our military is not full of extremists, full of white supremacists uh, or any of this other nonsense you've heard from the mainstream media. You remember Secretary Austin, Biden's defense secretary, his first act coming in as a new defense secretary was to order the entire military to stand down, stop training, stop operations, not because of aircraft or ship accidents, to deal with the overwhelming scourge of white supremacy in the military and gave this impression that it was a huge issue. Well, their own study has shown, Brian, less than 100 service members out of two and a half million to do the math. That's point zero zero five five percent has engaged in any form of extremism, Islamic extremism or anything. It's basically there's more people that have uh, STDs. Uh, that in the military or in car accidents in the military that are engaging in extremism is a made-up issue for political reasons to push this narrative uh, after uh, January 6th, and their own study has shown it to be yet another falsehood. Will they make it have a press conference to announce this? Oh, no. They, uh, they've been sitting on the study for over a year. Uh, finally, uh, they were you know, uh, hounded to release it, and they released it in the dead of the night over the holidays because they were right. they were wrong. I think it's insulting to the military, but I'm glad at least gotcha. we can once again point to the fact. A consequential congressman always in action. Uh, Michael Walsh, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Keep it here. Right, thanks, Brian. Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, Just finishing up this hour here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for listening. Our first show of 2024, which made me wonder, have you really learned everything you can about what's going on in the world? Is there indeed more to know? More to know. So I assume that answer is yes. So let's talk about college football. Michigan against Washington. That'll be the championship game. How? Because Michigan needed to come back to force and then beat Alabama in overtime 27-20. to 20. Congratulations to 
Uh, Jim Harbaugh, what a year the Harbaugh's are having. Think about this. John Harbaugh, the team with the best record in the NFL, just crushed Miami, scored over 60 points, and his brother, Jim, uh, is on the precipice of a national championship. We'll see what happens. In the other game, Washington, well, I guess the Pac-12 going out with a bang. Washington does real well. The Huskies uh, come back and hold off the Texas Longhorns. Uh, by the way, the Heisman Trophy finalist, uh, Michael uh, Penix Jr., uh, 29 of 38, 430 yards. Congratulations to uh, Washington. Uh, they are now in the final game. So good job, guys. Uh, meanwhile, this, as we swoosh. Yes, uh, Beverly Hills 90210 star. He's a good friend of our show. You know from Sharknado 2, Ian Zerling, is viciously attacked by bikers in L.A. you got to see some of this video. No cops around. These guys on mini motorbikes are just buzzing around. Evidently, something happened to get uh, Zerling got angry. He got out of the car, started punching one of the bikers. Then all the other bikers start running up to him and start pounding on him. He managed to get back in his car. Uh, this video is just sensational. just also shows you how out of control. L.A. is, right? Next. Back to work after the holiday. Are you feeling depressed? I'm feeling energized. Some of people are not feeling that way. If you're feeling depressed, here's what doctors say you should do. First, get enough sleep. Not good for a morning show person. I'll skip that one. Eat a balanced and nutritious diet. Always a good move. Avoid an alcohol. Uh, that's always a good move. Get in some physical activity, uh, possibly. Don't just fight with guys on mini bikes. Connect with families or friends. Well, this is cutting edge. Schedule activities in advance, like ballroom dancing. How's that? And try something new. Do something new. That, according to Johns Hopkins University. Now, next. Uh, on New Year's Eve, you might have missed it. You probably should. Uh, Green Day, who hates America, especially Republicans. You had their lead singer go off. His name is Billy Joe Armstrong. Made uh, Turned into... Uh, his anti-America song, really an anti-MAGA song. He put some of those lyrics in there. Remember, this guy's always hated Republicans when people cared about Green Day. Uh, he said in 2016 in an interview, uh, the worst problem I see about Donald Trump who is, is his followers. I actually feel bad for them because they're poor, working-class people who can't get a leg up. They are pissed off, and he's preyed on their anger. He also said, you have no options, and I'm the only one. I'm going to take care of myself. He says, that's effing Hitler, man, the basket case singer uh, uh, going out and said. So no really surprise there. I'm surprised he was actually uh, bringing it up on New Year's Eve. He also said this about George Bush back in the day. He says, this one is a little different than George Bush. This one is bad. It's like acid going bad, LSD in America. Right now, that according to him, Elon Musk called him out. He said Billy Armstrong Strong made an anti-Trump remark on Dick Clark's uh, rocking New Year's Eve. He said he went from Armstrong said, um, I'm not part. Of, this is what he actually said in the free frame. I'm not a part of the redneck agenda. I'm not a part of the MAGA agenda. All right. Good luck with that. We'll see what happens. Uh, he got called out by Elon Musk. That's all you need to know. Next, New York's uh, New York New Year, New You, Forbes Health ranks best diets of 2024. You ready? So if you jot this down, if you want to lose some weight, the Mediterranean diet, mostly fresh fruits and vegetables, whole grains, nuts, uh, and fish. The DASH diet, grains, meat, poultry, fish, fruit, and vegetables. The Flexitarian Vegetables, fruit, uh, whole grains. It sounds the same. Weight Watchers says fresh fruit, non-starchy vegetables, lean protein. And if you want the mind diet, green leafy vegetables, berries, and whole grains. It sounds boring. Next. 
Melania Trump, some bad news for her. Her mom's suffering big time. She's very ill. That, according to her husband, the former president of the United States, he said this on New Year's Eve. She was suffering from some kind of malady when he was asked about why his wife was not accompanying him on her New Year's Eve party in Mar-a-Lago. He said, quote, Melania is great, so popular. She's now in the hospital with her mother. Her mother is very ill, but hopefully she'll be recovering. So we'll see what happens there. But people just like to walk, talk about how bad that marriage is. It's actually just the opposite. Also report over the break that Melania will be out and about on the campaign trail. When she went to Jimmy Carter's funeral, she really felt a bounce in her step, felt accepted. And now she wants to see her husband get back in there. Next, cougars, meaning older women dating younger men, are actually happy and having better sex. That according to the London Metropolitan University. They recruited 24 women, mostly older. They study found that cougars scored higher in three different survey categories, seeming to rebuke the stereotype of the age cap being an issue. Quote, the study questions the preconceived notion that women in relationships with younger men are only less fulfilled. The question is, when the women get really old and the men get old, do they still want to stick around? And lastly, Cher denying allegations she kidnapped her son, telling People Magazine the rumors were not true. She has filed for a conservatorship of her son, Elijah Blue, due to alleged recent substance abuse. The kid's got mental problems, drug problems. He's about to get a lot of money because his uh, dad was an almond, and she does not want to see him lose it. Uh, Believe it or not, as much as you knew before, more to know, you now know more. And sadly... I have to close this out. Thanks so much for listening to this hour. Go to BrianKillMe.com, especially if you're in Joliet, Illinois. And that's a great place, a great place to see us at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on January 21st. It's an inspirational, motivational, patriotic show like you've never seen before. It's produced with Fox National. It'll be streamed there, but I want to see you live in studio. Some tickets still remain. Not many. Thanks for listening to Brian Kill Me Show. Keep it here. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.